Hello. 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 <laughs> what am I speaking to Ethel Merman here? You'll be swell. You'll be great. Scott Gardner's gonna be on your plate. <laughs> Back to the bin. Just, just as a by the way, though, you, you get all butthurt because I made fun of Infantino's artwork. Well, if you want to make fun of me with something that you don't like and I do, I think you, your best bet is to go to Kirby. Well, the th- the problem with that though is that you then know, you'd be wrong. Well, I mean, I respect Kirby. I don't have to like him, you know. Like, well, let me put put that different. I don't have to like his art to respect the man, you know, in his in his very important place in comics history and all that. I'm just not. Well, then again, I was gonna say I'm not a fan, but that's not really true because you know, there's a lot of his stuff that I really do like. I just don't think I say it often enough. Is kind of the problem. It, it worries me. That there, there's two guys I really worry about that I might be I might now have a stigma as some sort of hater and that's Kurt Swan and Jack Kirby because I'm not on either one of them. It's just you know when I was first getting into comics, Kirby was long past his prime and and basically the stuff he was churning out that I had exposure to was was pure shit. You know, like that Superpower series he did for for DC. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's garbage. You know, it's just not Kirby at the top of his game. Yeah, he was done by then. He was. Yeah, that's what I. That's what I mean. You know, so it's it's hard to go back and change. You know, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, there's there's a there's a reason why it's such a cliche that you know first impressions are the most important, but they are. You know, it's hard to change first impressions. And my first impression of of Jack Kirby was. Wow, why is this guy such a thing? Because he sucks, you know? And it's been really hard to change that. But, you know, you look at, like, Kirby's early stuff on Cap in um, Tales of Suspense. I love that stuff. I really do. And I don't get a chance to to say it often enough. But I really do. I'm a huge fan of that. I mean, all of those uh, 60s, you know, 60s cartoons that I'm so enamored of, most of that stuff is Kirby. And I love that shit, you know? I'm I'm a huge fan of that. So, Except yeah. The I, bottom line is I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> if you want to interpret it that way, I guess. That's, that's exactly how I want to interpret it. <laughs> hey, I unplugged my headphones. Do you hear any difference? Unplug your microphone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know oh what? Oh, my God. The show just got so much better. <laughs> I was practicing a... Uh, I think Arnold should do like uh, like greatest hits albums, like so. I was working on like Arnold singing the monkeys. Oh, do tell. <laughs> no, I was looking at YouTube before you guys got on. I was, I was doing some, some monkeys tunes. You know, the, it's a little bit me, it's a little bit you. <laughs> Why? Uh, that's that's kind of a, a more obscure one. Well, yeah, I I was looking at the uh, at the obscure ones too, and you know. And then, then I was looking at Valerie's Valerie. They dream believer. I'm the homecoming queen. Here we come. 
walking down the street, get the funniest looks from everyone with me. Hey, hey, all the monkeys. Now, see, but you, you always have to do it wrong. Like, he would say, hey, hey, with the monkey. <laughs> see, they, they should do, like, uh, they should get 80s action stars and have them redo the monkeys. And the, they, they could have Arnold and Sylvester Stallone and Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren, and they could all be in the house as the monkeys. They saw a face. I'm a believer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Rocky Three was on the other night. I forgot how much I love that movie. I I really enjoy all of them except for Rocky Five. I don't know if I've seen. Is that the one where he fights in the street at the end? Yes. Yes. And uh, that's the only uh, one that I really. Mickey comes back as a force ghost. I love you, Rocky. (laughs) I want to give you a hug tomorrow. Yeah. That's stupid. That's that's the only one where, like, if I'm flip, flipping through the channels and it's on, I probably won't stop. But other than that, any of the other ones. Where, where do you for. think they should have stopped? Should they should they have stopped at three or stopped at four? You know what? I'm okay with it because Rocky Balboa I enjoyed, and then this new Creed movie I enjoyed. So I don't, I'm not even saying they should stop. They just shouldn't have made that one. So Dan, there's what? There's seven of them. Yep. Holy shit! The only thing, and spoilers for anybody listening is they're making a big deal on this one that, that you know, it's like Sylvester Stallone's uh, bid for an Oscar nomination. If he wanted the Oscar nomination, Rocky should have died in the movie. He, hmm. needed, to do, he needed to do a death scene. <laughs> I was reading somewhere that they're wanting to do a sequel to Creed and they want um, Carl Weathers to be in it. And I'm like, how the hell is that work? Yeah, exactly. That was my he very first flashback because he, he filmed his death... <laughs> 30 years ago so it's not even like he okay you know he could do a flashback because he was dead maybe when he, he didn't was... really die maybe they put him in like suspended animation or something no he's not dead dead i mean his character's dead carl weathers isn't dead no i know but that's what okay. i'm saying have you but seen him on arrested development he could be oh i didn't know <laughs> last time i think i saw him was happy gilmore he didn't look that good then you know when he and hell hey he died in that movie and he had a flashback was was Action Jackson before or after Predator? I think it was. Uh, hmm. I think it was after. I don't think I've seen him in anything since that. I think I think like he did Predator, and based on that, they thought you know this guy can hold his own, and then they gave him Action Jackson and said eh, better as a supporting act. <laughs> Didn't that have like the chick that was like Prince's uh, that was in the Prince movie Abalonia, whatever her name? Wasn't she in that? I don't know yes. about that. Or the only the only. Person, the only other person I remember that was in that was um, um, Mr. Incredible. Um, Craig, uh, Craig T. Nelson. Craig T. Nelson. Yeah. yeah. With blonde hair. <laughs> yeah. With hair. <laughs> oh, sorry. So if you're listening, I'm Paul Spataro. That's Scott Gardner, the guy with the mouthful of food. What if I'm not listening? And the other guy is uh, Dr. Bill Robinson. With the laundry in the background, with the Chinese laundry going tonight. <laughs> Ancient Chinese, Chinese secret. secret, huh? <laughs> and this is back to the bins. This Wasn't that guy that was two. on the commercial also in the uh, bye, bye, bye. in the Police Academy movies? Wasn't he the Chinese guy in the Police Academy movies? I, or am I just I, racist? Because you know, you're all Chinese a racist people like bastard. Oh, I, I have no idea, dude. I cannot be bothered with the Police Academy movies. Sorry. <laughs> okay. But this is part two of our 1975 retrospective. But before we get into 1975, which will be jumping in at July because we've already done January through June, 
Uh, let's read a little bit of email. And the first email on my list is from Mr. Aaron Henley. And I don't believe we've heard from Aaron before, but welcome aboard. Aaron sends uh, an email saying, Deepest sympathies for Sean Engel. Uh, his, his email reads, My thoughts and prayers go out for him and his family. He was someone who introduced me to a couple of heroes I never considered, and the hours of enjoyment he gave me were something I will treasure. Though I never met him personally, I considered him a friend. I think Guy Gardner could say it best. Raise a glass to my buddy Sean. Know your stool here at Warriors is always yours. We lost one of the best. Thank you, Aaron. I, we, we appreciate that sentiment, and certainly we agree with you. Thank you, Aaron. That was very nice. Yes, appreciate thank you, that. sir. Want to do the next one, Doctor? Uh, this is from Alexander Ramirez. Ramirez. Sorry. Whenever I see that, <laughs> I have, whenever I say Ramirez, I have to say it like that. Ramirez. Oh, I see my cut has improved your voice. And it is entitled a tribute to Murphy Anderson episode. Hey, Scott, Bill, and Dr. Well, Scott, well I just edited Paul right out of that one. <laughs> hey, Scott, Paul, and Dr. Bill. I love the tribute episode. I especially love the Uncle Sam story while you reviewed this story, which I have read and also enjoyed your review of it. I was looking at the who's who entry of Uncle Sam, which was drawn by Murphy Anderson. So it got me into the mood as uh, as did your review. I don't did you think start this... to say Scott Bill and Dr. Bill? Yeah, I did. Can you imagine that? That would be the longest synopsis that nobody would ever hear. Hey, <laughs> why? Because nobody would ever edit the show, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I'm just picturing like kind of Bill's version of Kirk and Evil Kirk fighting. I'm Doctor Bill. They have one book between them, and they just keep passing it back and forth. They keep throwing it at each other. <laughs> you do the first page. No, you do. I'm doing the first panel. You're doing the second panel. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just totally derailed our listeners. We, we may have to come up with a bit, dueling Dr. Bills. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible transporter accident. <laughs> anyway, back back to the email. I don't think the story is corny. The review made me teary-eyed, but I love old-fashioned patriotism as much as I like Uncle Sam. I have to agree that the Alex Ross Vertigo Mini is very cynical, and while a good story, not how I like seeing Uncle Sam. Don't want to go into politics, but I have seen that one thing that annoys me about Ross is his cynical views, which seem to conflict with my views. There is a t-shirt that had a drawing of his, which told me all I needed to know about his views. The series that was done by Palmati and Gray was the way Uncle Sam should be done, bigger than life, and inspires hope like the Winter Soldier movie did. It does make me curious to check out the Palmy Out in Gray series, though. That's the first good thing I've heard about it. So that, yeah. When was that out? Is that what is that recent That's, or is it something mm -hmm. back it's, in two thousands? Um, it's post Infinite Crisis, so I'm gonna guess when was Infinite Crisis? Two thousand five, I think. Sounds about yeah. Sounds so close. this, I'm guessing that series would have been about two thousand six or seven. So it's pre New Fifty Two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> I love how he gathered the new legacy characters and filled them full of hope. I feel hope is so lacking in the DCU since before New 52 came along, and it just died with that launch. Getting back to this story, I love it, and it comes in the spirit of how Will Eisner would write a story and fill us full of hope. What turns me off 
from most mainstream comics is they are full of rage, fear, greed, lust. But when it comes to traits that should be fostered, like hope, compassion, and love, I find new comics are lacking in it. I find it odd that stories like this are out of favor now, but I guess values are different with this current generation. The first story sounds like a fun Silver Age Solomon Grundy story with Dr. Fate and Our Man. I like magic characters, but it does seem often that some magic heroes will say, I will use my Dosix Machina spell. By the way, the term Dosix Machina was literally a stage prop where a person, where a new person never seen before would literally pop into the play by a trapdoor. So it literally was a machine, as in the term implies. As the or term or if it was even Deus Ex Machina. Right, I say, oh, I said deuce? Oh, deuce. Yeah. You, you, were, you were doing a deuce. That's deuce. disgusting. Deuce. Dropping a deuce Ex Machina. <laughs> Go ahead, Bill. Keep, I can't. Keep, I, I know the term, but I can't pronounce it either. So don't feel bad. Do do, do us a favor, Bill, and just keep ripping the English language to shreds. Go ahead. <laughs> Excuse me, I have to drop a do a six machina. That's you. You know, whenever you come up with something that you think you might have trouble pronouncing, you should just do it in Arnold voice, and people think you're doing it on there purpose. There you go. I should just. <laughs> it's funny you should say that because I think back now <laughs> to when I did that. Uh, that uh, when I did the prayer for, uh, uh, oh, say a little prayer for you. No, 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 no. When I did it for uh, Chris's pop podcast for oh, Garage Sale Gloat, the the Crom. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I did the prayer to Grom and I and I said Migo Akachin figure. <laughs> right. I didn't mispronounce it. That's the way I. That's the way I said it. It just I I I I did mispronounce it, but I didn't do it on purpose. And Chris was like, oh, that was awesome when you mispronounced action figure. I went, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you should, so, never, you should never cop to that. But it was so good. I was like, I'm just not going to say anything because it just came out because it wasn't Arnoldism. Maybe I get too much into character. I don't know. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just it. ask Carmine Infantino. Carmine Infantino. Back to the email. I like... <laughs> I like turtles. I like magic characters best when they are limited, since it seems they have to struggle that way. Some of Zatanna's, see I said that right, best stories involve her using stage tricks instead of real magic to save the day. I feel this is why some magic users either have a long series or mostly make guest appearances in other books or even a short-lived mini. I have heard the Doctor Fate series is quite good, but I'm just not into the type of art and stories that D DC generates anymore. Marvel lost me years ago due to everything they did to ruin Spider-Man. One More Day was the last nail in the coffin, although the Clone Saga I steered clear of. Been listening to your show quite a while and found, found it after getting involved with Tales of the JSA and when you started your crisis coverage, which I hope to hear you continue, uh, hear you continue to do since no one in podcasting is covering it, with as great a detail on its place in history. The Legion of Substitute Podcasters did cover it, but they only review the story and art and how exceptional everyone looked in it. They even did uh, they even did roll call did a roll call of everyone on the cover, crowd gatherings, etc. Keep up the work, love this show, and just started getting into the other two true freak shows such as Comics Monthly Monday, Views from the Long Box, From Crisis to Crisis, and started hearing uh, some third degree burn. Love the humor and reverence for some of these older comics when it comes 
uh, down to it. If it isn't fun to read, not worth getting. Alex Ramirez. That was a good one. Thank you, Alex. And the next one is from our number one email writer, You're Mr. Russell Bragg. Number one, a guy. Yes. <laughs> and it is titled. Back and I wonder if Russell has seen that movie and knows what, what, what it's what, what, what? And I wonder if Russell's seen that movie and knows what it's from. That one, I, I'm going to venture that that one he knows. And I'm sure we'll get an email and let us know. We'll see. This one is titled Back to the Bins 220, 1975 in Review, Part 1. Hi, guys. I love these year in review specials, but I always forget that you'll be going through the comic year month by month. I was going to go through and mention some that I have in my collection that caught my eye. January, chow, 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 chow. Famous first edition F6, Wonder Woman number, number one, Justice League of America 117, Superman Family 170. Oh, I get it. It gets the catch out thing. Oh, wait, no, that was something else, wasn't it, too? Before. It was a song. It was the a cat song. commercial. Yeah, but it was a cat commercial. It was a cat food. Yes, it was. Too. It was a cat chow. Purina cat chow. Chow, 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 chow. Back to the Sorry. email. February, Superman number 287. <laughs> a side note on the Crypto Green Arrow storyline. It begins in Action Comics 440, the first Green Arrow backup feature. Apparently, Crypto got amnesia after battling the Mindbreaker Beast on another planet. His mind was wiped. That story is nowhere to be found. Crypto and Green Arrow only have the two issues, 440 and 441, and the conclusion comes with Crypto's memory restored during Superman 287. By the way, I don't have Joker number one, but I do have the Joker trade that collects all nine stories. Hmm. March, famous first edition. I didn't know that had been traded. What's that? I didn't know that had been traded. That's interesting. I'm not surprised, though. With The Joker is a very bankable character. Uh, March, famous first edition, F7, All-Star Comics number three. Superman 288, Superman Family 171. April, Justice League of America 120, Superman 289. May, famous first editions F8, which is Flash Comics number one. Justice League of America number 121, Adam Strange and Alana's Wedding. Limited Collector's Edition C37, Batman All-Villain Issue. Superman Family number 172. June, nothing for this month, but I want Batman Family number one. I think I'm the only one in the world who has that book. Which one? (laughs) You guys were talking about the Sad Sack comics, and I was only guessing, but I did some research, and it turns out I was correct. This was based on an old-time radio character called Private Sad Sack, voiced by Mel Blanc. (laughs) That sounds even worse. (laughs) (laughs) My mind was not in the gutter till you started laughing. (laughs) He made his first appearance in 1944 with Bob Hope and Betty Grable on an episode of G.I. Journal. Said Sack ran ran as a summer replacement program in 1946, voiced by Herb Vigran, or Viagra. Said Sack even made it to the big screen in 1957, starring Jerry Lewis. Unbelievably, Said Sack had 287 issues, running from September 1949 to October 1982. Guess that's all until next time. Thanks for keeping me entertained. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia, host of the In Hiatus podcast, the DC Comics Presents show. I did Aww. not know it was In Hiatus. I didn't either. Aw. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed. I was unawares. That's because he's busy he's... looking up all the <laughs> right. stuff on our show. He's too busy doing our research for us. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Russell. Ready to move on to the next one? Is this me sure. or is it, is it Scott? Or is Scott still eating? I'm Scott's, done eating, but I do not have the emails. Scott's going to cleverly work out his dinner to last until till we're done. That works. 
I got it. It's from our ever effervescent <laughs> emailer. <laughs> He's like a rich, bubbly wine. Luke Giaconetti, and the subject is we are binsters. Bin, binsers, bum, 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 bum. I can't <laughs> stop laughing at that. Pliers of the time stream. Hey, guys, just finished listening to episode 219 with Superior Iron Man and Iron Fist, two heroes who have not crossed over nearly enough for my taste. Because that would be that would not be confusing, right? <laughs> Maybe they could team up to fight Samurai Steel and the Steel Serpent. Anyway, Superior Iron Man was a mixed-up mess of a series, and one which I was not sad to see go away thanks to, to the seemingly never-ending Secret Wars event. Superior Iron Man was the result of the now-forgotten series Axis, where a bunch of heroes and villains switched sides or something. Marvel didn't do a very good job of selling it, and the series ultimately mattered very little concerning that it was all grist for the Secret Wars mill. The idea that Tony Stark was always essentially a villain at worst or a snarky, conniving jerk at best is one of the most irritating developments in the modern-day Marvel Universe, but one which it seems we are stuck with for the time being. As in Elseworlds or What If, this series was all right, but as the main Iron Man book, I did not care for it. For what it's worth, Teen Abomination is still kicking around as a member of Dum Dum Dugan's team of monsters over in Howling Commandos of S.H.I.E.L.D. Hmm. I have not read this particular Iron Fist miniseries, although I have a big run of it and a lot of affection for the Power Man and Iron Fist series. In fact, the death of Danny Rand, aw, I didn't know he was sick, which was referenced in this issue took place in the final issue of Power Man and Iron Fist number 125. The 90s art style for this issue sounds like like a turnoff. Yeah, because what, we couldn't even tell wolves were wolves? But hey, I like Iron Fists, so that's good enough for me. Thanks for the fun show, guys. After last month, I really needed to hear a fun episode of Bins and just laugh with you guys. Can't wait to see what gets pulled out of the Bins next. Luke. P.S. Bum, 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 bum. (laughs) Scott, did you get into that email yet? Nope. Yeah, how convenient. Lazy so-and-so. How convenient. Uh, Next email is from Kyle Banning. Year-end review part one. Hey, guys. Happy New Year. I just wanted to drop you a line and wish you a happy start to 2016. I hope you all had a happy and safe Christmas. I'm listening to your year-end episode. Love the premise. And here are some of my thoughts on some of the issues you touched on. Yes, the famous first editions were direct reprints, including all of the advertisements, just like what Marvel would do with their Marvel Milestone Edition reprint series in the early 90s. The Silver Surfer appearing in Fantastic Four, Paul... The Silver Surfer appearing in Fantastic Four. Paul, you mentioned that at this time it was really a big deal when Surfer showed up, as he was used very sparingly. That's because there was a gentleman's agreement around the Marvel offices at that time that no one outside of Stan was typically allowed to write the Surfer. That was relaxed a bit to Lee, relaxed a bit to Lee having to write any of the Surfer's solo adventures. Obviously, in the mid '70s, Stan was no longer doing much writing of stories, thus the Surfer was scarce. It was because of this gentleman's agreement that Stan Lee scripted Byrne's 1981 Silver Surfer one-shot. Byrne was given the green light to plot and draw the book under the condition Stan was allowed to script it. Obviously, this parameter was dropped in the late 80s when the Surfer got a new solo title that Steve Englehart was writing. The Losers movie is based on the Vertigo comic series titled The Losers by Andy Diggle and Jock that ran in the early 2000s. So it is a DC comic movie, not just the classic war comic of the same name. 
the Gold Key Torox series is pretty great. I occasionally come across them in the cheap bins and always pick them up. They're great reads. Bob Oskner is one of the all-time great and yet underappreciated Superman artists of the Silver Age and Bronze Age. He did so much work on Lois Lane comics and a ton of Superman covers. Yes, Atlas was around for about four to six months. I think they definitely suffered from editorial not sticking with a concept. I think they anticipated ridiculously high sales right away at launch. And when titles didn't immediately have high sales, they changed the premise after one or two issues. Obviously, the premise didn't fare well. I love DC Special Number 16. You have to love some superheroes versus super gorilla action. Scott, Byrne took over the art duties on Iron Fist with the final issue of Iron Man's run in Marvel Premiere, which was number 25. After that, he got his own ongoing series by Claremont and Byrne. Yes, Woodsy the the Owl had his own comic. I have the first two issues. Yes, Doomsday Plus One is awesome, and the new four-issue mini Byrne did at IDW a couple of years ago was also great. I recommend it, but maybe I'm just biased as a Byrne fan and the fact that there's a character in the series named Benning. Benning! Oh, sorry. Head for the chopper! (laughs) Let's have some steam, Benning! (laughs) Scott, that issue of Shazam with reverse Shazam is awesome. It's one of my favorites. The world's mightiest villain is a character named Zazo. He comes from another planet and uses a lightning conductor helmet to attract Billy's magic lightning, transforming him instead of Billy. I believe that issue 19 of Shazam is his only appearance. Love the cover to that one, which is done by Bob Oskner. Bill, actually, Thulsa Doom is a King Cull villain, not a Conan one despite him serving as Conan's big bad in the Conan the Barbarian movie. Marvel Marvel really did some interesting things with the Robert E. Howard works. Conan was obviously Howard's most popular creation, so in order to have enough source material to work from, Roy Thomas and other Marvel writers often borrowed stories, characters, and other elements from other of Robert E. Howard's stories and adapted them into Conan stories. The funny part of that, then, is that the Conan stuff became so popular that Marvel started to produce other comics titles based on Howard's other characters, so then you essentially have the same story being told twice by Marvel, once adapted into comic form for its true character, like King Cull, and then again taking the same story and making it a Conan story as well. That really muddies the waters a bit on the source material, and so the movie drew on a mixed bag of elements as well, instead of adapting a purely Conan story. I'm looking forward to the second half of look at 1975. Fun episode. Kyle Benning, Waverly, what's IA? Is that Indianapolis? Um, I don't know. Where are you from, Kyle? I I thought he was from Illinois. That would be IL. Yeah, I know. West Virginia. There you go. Fine. Host of King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun. We're big in West Virginia. We are big in West Virginia. (laughs) Got two more. Oh, I thought, oh, okay. If you're waiting for Scott, you can, you know, forget it. In the meanwhile, Bill, start a reading. <clears throat> okay. Uh, it's another email from the effervescent one, Luke Giaconetti, and the subject is Murphy Anderson Tribute Show. Binners. Bum, 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 bum. Hey, guys, apparently I missed the Murphy Anderson Tribute episode when it was posted, so I just gave it a listen. I never had a chance to meet Mr. Anderson, unfortunately. He was not an artist who I was familiar with until I bought Showcase Presents Hawkman Volume 1, which was the impetus for me to start my Hawkman blog, being Carter Hall, and starting my journey into Hawk fandom. 
With Anderson coming onto the character after Joe Kubert, I initially thought his work was a step down. But after reading more of the stories with Anderson Anderson's art, I really started to appreciate and enjoy his work for its crisp and clean lines, resulting in an, in a sturdy and athletic Hawkman and a fit, trim Hawk Girl like the ladies you see doing power cleans and back squats in a beast mode class nowadays. This was in direct contrast to Kirby Kerbert Kubert. <laughs> Ooh! <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Whose Hawkman was essentially Tarzan, naturally, and Hawk Girl, who was more akin to a barbarian queen. <laughs> and now I want to sing ABBA. Barbarian queen. Uh, <clears throat> there's nothing wrong about that. <clears throat> but Anderson drew them as superheroes rather than fantasy characters, which set the stage for the Hawks' role in the larger DCU. The pair of stories sounded like fun, especially the flag waver for Uncle Sam and Secret Origins. Anderson's style is a strong match for Uncle Sam as he takes a character who could not, who could look over the top in certain hands and makes him look realistic and feasible. The opening splash page is a perfect example of this as Sam looks ready to lay the smack down on somebody when he could just as easily look silly or foolish with bright striped pants. Really great, great stuff. As an aside, episode 19 of Ryan Daly's Secret Origins podcast at secretorigins.lisbon.com covered this issue. Really enjoyed your tribute to an unsung hero of the industry. Thanks, Luke. Thank you, Luke. And Thank my you, apologies Luke. to the Joe Kubert family. Before going on to our very last email, I might as well welcome aboard our special guest today, friend of the show, friend of the network, and a guy who hasn't been on this show in probably about... I don't know, close to three years. Mike Boyles, how you been? Yeah, uh, I've been okay. Uh, I'm working off a new computer here that uh, my mic, my regular microphone doesn't plug into, so I'm trying to use the mic off the laptop. So it's a little uh, faulty. <laughs> so, However yeah, you set up good. right now, it sounds fine. Yeah, okay, it sounds great. good. Great. So been, Mike uh, correctly pointed out to us that using his website to uh, do our review and, and not – including him in the show was kind of a miscalculation. So. <laughs> no, it's fine. I didn't mean to like, you know, inject myself into <laughs> the discussion either. I was just kind of like, uh, maybe that's not exactly the way to go about it, but well, we did have the I feeling you'd shut down the network. <laughs> I would never do that. <laughs> no, I know, but no, it's actually, it's, it's your, your return to the show is way, way overdue. So I'm glad you, that you caught our eye and, and, and are on with us tonight. Well, this is probably the only show I regularly listen to. Uh, I just don't have the time to, to listen to a whole lot anymore. And um, yours is probably the one I listen to as regularly as I can. Oh, that's a huge compliment. I appreciate that. Wow, yeah, thank you. Thanks. With all the shows out there, yeah, that is quite the compliment. Thank you very much. And, and our, our, last, uh, our last email, we, we were just reading emails, and the last one actually poses a question to the group. So I wanted to bring you into the group. Before we read the question, because this way you might have some uh, you might have some in, some input into this one as well. Okay. The last question is from Socrates Alvarez, and it's actually the subject is question. As as the comic creators you grew up with, excuse me, as the comic creators you grew up enjoying leave the industry, do you have trouble looking at new creators in the same light? Even though I get over ten current titles a month, I'm more excited about back issues I pick up. 
Nothing against today's creators, but I think a lot of them were not as consumed by comics as the creators coming up post-Silver Age. Also, have you guys reviewed any Astro City comics? It's one of my favorite comics. I'm going to just address that last part first. We haven't, but that's something that we probably should do for one of our indies at some point. Best regards, Socrates Alvarez. What does everybody else think about the points that Socrates brings up? That's interesting because, um, yeah, it kind of did stir some thought, which go ahead, insert your joke here. Bill had a thought. Um that there has been some new artists that I look at, and if you're going to insult yourself, then why the hell do I even show up to these shows? So I can beat you to it. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have to get mad on anymore, then. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I do have some bias to new artists. I don't know. I I, I I don't know why. I mean, there are a few that I have that I that I do that I can recognize. But it seems I, I, I do have a stronger affinity for the older ones, whether it's uh, maybe it's nostalgia that plays into it more so. I don't know. What, what, what do you guys say? Well, there's no question for me that, uh, you know, I, I will always gravitate towards Kirby, Neil Adams, John Romita, John Byrne, George Perez, uh, Rich Buckler, uh, Gil Kane. I'm trying to think, Gene Colan, all of those guys. I will go to them pretty much before any of the current day people. And that's not to say that there aren't current day people out there who are as talented, but they certainly don't suit my way of looking at it as well as those guys did. And maybe it is because I grew up with them and that's what I know best, but those are the guys who I will always gravitate towards. Well, because I know when we went, when Scott and I went to the Tampa Bay Comic Con, I believe that uh, that's where we saw, that's where Neil, Neil Adams had his booth, right? Right, Scott? yeah. And yeah. what, you, you know, he's got all this old stuff there, but he was drawing new stuff, and he had a lot of the uh, the Walking Dead characters drawn in his style, and I was, oh, like, wow, man, I would love to have these. Whereas I can't think of some other, some other artists that if I saw them, that I would be as enamored. Although, you know what, we did meet Mr... What is it? Uh, Pinto? Joe? Yeah, yeah. The guy's now, amazing. His art was good, too, because it's it's got, I don't know, there's something about his art, but he's not really a comic creator. He's more of like a, of a, a you know, a straight-up artist. I didn't mean it like that. You know what I mean. He's, he, he's, he's not doing, he's not grinding out a comic. He's doing, producing prints and, and portraits. It seems to be his niche, whereas... You know, like Neil Adams was doing black and white um, renderings in the comic style of modern day things. And that kind of, you know, was like, wow, those are awesome. I would love to get some of those. And that's it. Well, I already gave my thoughts on it, Scott. Mike, what do you guys think? I guess it, it comes down to what you defined as as new. Um, but, yeah, I, I can't think of anybody in recent memory that really caught my attention you know the way the older guys do you know where i'm like wow i really like this person now i want to go back and you know collect their works and find out where they started and get all their earliest things and I, yeah i just that hasn't happened for me for a long long time that that's not to say that you know there's not artists that i see out there that i really like and everything it's just i, I think a lot of it too again comes back to that whole thing about I'm just not as interested in newer comics the way I am in the old stuff. You know, I'm, I'm kind of put off by new comics for 
you know, all the factors that we're always complaining about, you know, that you're, you're not really getting a story you're getting, you know, part of a story, decompressed storytelling, the price of comics, all this sort of thing. Plus, I think one of the things that's really been very aptly illustrated to me doing this show is just how much comics have changed. You know, new comics, while they may have some really nice art and everything, the nature of the medium has really changed. So, you know, everything these days is slick and polished and done on a computer and everything. And, you know, so when we go back and we look at some book from the 70s or something, it's like it, it almost feels like a completely different art form. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, but, you know, I, I still do occasionally, you know, somebody will, will catch my eye or what, but just not to the point where I get almost kind of obsessive about them like I do with a lot of the classic guys. And, you know, Paul named a lot of them, you know, uh, you know, Adams and Apero and Byrne and Perez and all those. Guys. I mean, I'm I'm hugely into those guys and actively work to collect, you know, the things that they have done through the, the course of their career. I, I couldn't tell you the the most modern um, comics creator that that caught me the same way. I, I wouldn't I, I couldn't even venture a guess at this time. So I don't know. I, hopefully that answers the question. I don't know. What do you think, Mike? Uh, for me, I am not really um, the biggest art guy. I mean, I don't really follow artists. I follow characters. I follow, I don't know, universes, I guess you would say. Um, so for me, like, I can read a Superman story by Joe somebody, or I could read one by George Perez, and, you know, to me, it's still a Superman story. I, you know, I don't really necessarily be like, oh, this is a great artist. Now, granted, I don't think they've published a Superman story in the last 10 years. Um, the character they're publishing now is not Superman. Um, so and I think you guys, or at least some of you guys, share that opinion. <laughs> so, Absolutely. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I, I mean, I'm on board with what some of what Scott was saying about being, as, as the intro to your show says, disenfranchised with the modern comics industry because um, it, it's, I, it, the characters are just unrecognizable to me, no matter who's drawing them. Um, and I, for me, you know, I, I somewhat followed writers a little bit, but even then it's like I didn't follow them to company to company. I mean, I was always a DC guy. Um, so I, you know, I would read anything that DC put out, regardless of who the artist was. Uh, I, I know, I, I think I read every single DC title from probably the mid eighties to early two thousands. Uh, and, you know, even if it was a horrible artist, you know, if the story was still recognizable as the character, I was fine with that. As far as newer artists and getting into them, uh, too many of them, I think, have been influenced by the image generation now. And I, I have no love at all for any of those image guys, especially, um, you know, the Jim Lee's of the world that are all, you know, let's pose our characters and make, you know, big poster shots or whatever, instead of actually telling a story. I mean, people seem to love Jim Lee, but I swear to God, the guy still has not learned to tell a story in the 30 years he's been working in comics. So I, I don't I don't see what the big deal is about him. Um, you know, I'll take my old old school George Perez over him any day, even even though I don't really follow Perez's current work. I mean, Perez is still working in the industry, but I don't think I've bought anything that he's really worked on um, outside of like Infinite Crisis because, well, it was D.C. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, 
I the last thing I can think of that I actually bought because of a creator was because of Perez, and I would say that would be like late '90s when he was doing Avengers with with Busiek. I think that was probably the last title that I I bought that was I bought because of the art. That's fair enough, and and it's not that I when I look at uh, current day books, it's not that I look at the artwork and think, oh, this is bad, but it just doesn't appeal to me the way the old stuff did and you know again i can't tell you for certain if that's just nostalgia or, or what it is but i certainly appreciate the older stuff more than the current yeah, for what it's worth so we've emptied out our email box which is cool people should send in more and people should send in itunes reviews those are really good you know i started looking uh, you know we, we had the uh, the star wars crossover where we had uh, matt from swick in uh-huh. And I started looking at the iTunes reviews on Swick, and I was clicking, and you know they, I think every time you click, there's like 15 that they show you. Right. And I just kept saying, see more, see more, see more. And when I got up to 200 and something, I was like, okay, I've seen enough. <laughs> yeah, they pour in for that show. I'm not, I'm not sure why we're not getting, getting more of them, getting our fair share. Yeah, so I, I don't, we don't have to necessarily match them, but uh, you know, if we can get some more. That that helps the show find that helps the show find listeners, or it helps listeners find the show. Either way, I, I, from my perspective, it's the first one that I prefer. But either way, it it works out well. So if you can give us reviews, if you like what you listen to, go into iTunes and give us five star reviews. Anyways, I guess it's it's time for us to uh, to jump into Mike's amazing world. And since it's been, as I said, probably about three years since you've been on, Mike. Uh, before we go back into it, you want to give a, a quick, uh, you know, quick description of your site and uh, plug for what you do with it. Uh, description of my site: uh, it's a information depository of everything comic related that I made lists of as a kid. I used to make lists about everything. Um, you know, I used to go through and and write, get every comic and. And write down who you know who worked on the art and you know who wrote this story and which characters appeared in this issue and uh, when the internet came along I just you know put it up on the internet and and you know built a database for my own use I did wasn't really expecting anybody to to care about anything I did um, and you know eventually I branched out from just doing DC stuff which is you know my primary interest and. Uh, in the last four or five years, I've added a number of other publishers, and it's got covers, it's got credits, it's got character information. Um, I've got articles about comic uh, things in comic history, that kind of stuff up there as well. Um, for a lot of the DC stuff, I've got chronologies for characters, synopsis information for stories. Um, and then there's a bunch of gallery type stuff, like I've got all the hostess ads up there, a bunch of the Henry Boltonoff strips from the 50s and 60s that used to be filler strips, those kind of things I've, I've just kind of added as extras. But I really just do it for my own interest. Um, in the last couple of years, um, well, prior to the last couple of years, I used to get comments from people all the time being like, oh, this is like so awesome, I just remember my childhood and stuff like that. And so it was nice to like see people using it and, and enjoying it. And I think the couple of years ago, I don't know exactly when I would say that the information turned or whatever, but it's now it's like I just get a lot of people from 
people picking nits with the site, like, oh, this is all wrong, and I can't find this, and your site sucks, and that kind of stuff. So, I'm like, I need a list of these people <laughs> I go kick their asses because they're yeah. full of crap. I love their site. So, I use it all the time. So, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I mean, the, the, I, can, I can look back on the feedback I used to get compared to what I get now, and I'm just like, uh, it's the last six months or so I've been like actually contemplating just retiring it and being like, okay, I'm not going to do anything else for it just because. Oh, don't, don't say that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, if I didn't do it for my own use or, you know, if that wasn't the primary reason for doing it, I would have, I would have closed it down a long time ago. So I could say for, for people doing a show like this, it's invaluable. Oh yeah. Uh, it, it's such a great source of information mm -hmm. as we're looking for things. But then to take it a step further, just for just for anybody, it's just a great site to just go to and get lost in it because there's just so much stuff there. <clears throat> I, I I know I love it. Thank you for having it up. Uh, I, you have my appreciation. Well, it's I, coming I, up on it's coming up on 20 years now that I've been doing it. I started it in 97, I want to say, late 97. And it it's it's consuming for me too. I mean, I put in over 40 hours a week on it for wow. 20, almost 20 years. So, um, and I do, and I do everything for it. I mean, I do everything from, from building the code base for it to, you know, providing the content and, and doing a lot of the research myself. So, um, it's not one of, there's a, a number of indexing sites out there that, you know, are group based. And I've, I've never been a fan of group based stuff because it's the person who's doing, title x or whatever is not uh it may not be the person that should be doing that and they don't necessarily have the the knowledge of, of what they're doing and there's inconsistencies between having people do it so i like having a, a consistent vision for the for what i'm putting out there um but it's it's a lot faster for for the for the group projects versus me and my solo efforts so they can get a lot more done than i can but i'm still putting in too many hours a week trying to trying to provide content content for this we just have to figure out a way for you to get full-time job money from it oh i haven't gotten a dime from it it's cost me you know i mean just what i'm paying and hosting a month because you know is is a lot so <laughs> uh you know it, i don't make any money off of it and i i refuse to put advertising up on you know every site out there has got ads and stuff on it i you'll notice that my site has never had a single ad on it in any place because i'm just i don't know fundamentally opposed to to that i put it out there it's free for use use it as you will well we we appreciate we i can guarantee you the three of us very much appreciate your efforts absolutely <laughs> yeah i think the podcasting yes, community is uh is it may be the the on the other side of that that divide of what i was saying of the the criticisms and such um so uh the, the podcasters have still been making use of it uh, you know now and then but uh not that i usually don't hear about it because like i said i don't listen to a whole lot of shows anymore so unless they uh let me know directly that they're using it i i don't really know so well why don't we take this time to jump right into your site and we're going into the uh on sale in july of 1975 page we're gonna pick up where we left off in the first part of the uh 1975 review is bill still with us yeah i'm here i'm here oh, okay i need to step out for a second but i'm back okay and the first thing that jumps out at me is the very first book that month, this first issue, Special Number 7, which uh, I remembered we covered on an episode of the show, and I looked it up, and it's episode number 108. Yeah, I thought this looked familiar. Yeah, that's the uh, 
the Firefly character that was a uh, old Batman foe for he he fought Batman back in the fifties one time, and they they brought him back for this episode. Snappy dresser. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Who did the cover? Oh, it's Bob Oskner again. I like the cover on uh, Action. Uh, what is this? Action four fifty two. Yeah. I've always wow. liked this cover. So the Firefly would not be seen again until Crisis on Infinite Earths. Wow. Well, that was his oh, first. Yeah. Well, it's only ten years, I guess. <laughs> so, but now yeah. isn't that this the same Firefly they used that was the derivative for the uh, uh, the one on Gotham? I don't know if anybody else you guys watch Gotham. There was a Firefly type. There was a second Firefly. The, the female oh, Firefly okay. in Gotham. Yeah, I, I don't watch Gotham, so I don't know. I typically don't watch the the TV versions. Of course, you're so. too busy keeping this website going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I've followed about half of Arrow, but I haven't, like, Flash, I watched the pilot and was like, nope, this isn't a character I recognize. So you're um, like Scott. You and me both, brother. I'm like, that's not, I mean, just because you're using the name of a character does not make it that character. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I, I won't argue with your perspective on that because I do, I, despite some of the jibing back and forth that Scott and I have done to each other, I do respect everybody's right to their own opinion on stuff. Uh, but I do find it to be probably the most entertained I've ever been by a comic book TV series. Even if you feel it's not truly Barry Allen. So. It's not even for me that it's not truly Barry Allen. The dude's like 14. I just can't get into it. <laughs> he's supposed he, to be a police scientist and everything, and he looks like he's a junior in high school. I just, he, he really is much more Peter Parker than Barry Allen. Yeah, yeah. very much so. And I, I just, it just lost me at that. You know? But that, is, that aside... I just think the show is great. Okay. I, I've got no complaints about people who enjoy the show for what it is. I just, it's not Barry Allen. It's not The Flash to me. I mean, that's my it's opinion. Fine. <laughs> so, I, I, I won't try and change your mind. Barry Allen is a 30-ish blonde guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, uh, I, the Action Comics one that, that, we, uh, that you mentioned, that is a great cover, but I can't remember the issue itself. To speak yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. I just like the cover. A lot you know, of these the Superman guys... stories are completely unmemorable from this era. I remember I loved him as a kid because I was I wasn't buying these new off the rack as a kid because I was only two in 1975. But um, <laughs> these were some of the first back issues I bought. Action has always been one of my favorite titles, but they're not memorable stories, at least not from my perspective. Yeah, I agree with you. Most of them are not because this was this was an era. I was either getting them off the stands or or collecting them, you know, shortly thereafter in back issues or what. And there's yeah, there's very few of them I can really remember what was going on. I do no notice here that uh, this issue, the Superman story, was written by uh, Jim Shooter, though. That's interesting. Hmm. Generally like Jim Shooter's uh, writing. He's usually pretty good. Adventures on the Planet of the Apes, number one. So now that's reprinting the... Uh, this is reprinting the black and white magazine. The black and white, the that's the, uh, what's it called, the adaptation of the movie? Yep, sure is. That's a Rich Buckler cover. cover. Oh, it sure is, isn't it? Yep, I never mm -hmm. even realized that before. Yep, Buckler they, and Sinnott, yeah. And the next one there, Amazing Spider-Man, will begin our... A return of Gil Kane doing most of them in this month's covers again. That was one, you know, new off the stand. Couldn't wait to sit and read it because I'm pretty sure that's the issue that revealed the uh, Jackal's identity. This was uh, right in the middle of that Spider-Clone saga, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've read most of these Spider-Mans, but 
I, I'm like I said, I've never been really a Marvel guy, so it's, I recall it to some extent, but not uh, uh, not a lot. Yeah, well, I, I, I grew up as mostly a Marvel guy and really grew to appreciate DC more as I got older. So between us, we should have the full perspective here, except I was you know older than two, so I actually remember this stuff coming up. <laughs> <laughs> I did have a pretty good run on Spider-Man, and I, I picked up most of the issues above 100, um, you know, sometime in the early 90s. I think I was missing the 129 and the 121, which were, you know, the big issues to have. Just prohibitive but, at that point? Um, they weren't really. I mean, uh, most of the run, you know, in there I picked up for a dollar or less. But, um, and I, I think I might still have this particular one. But uh, those two were harder to find. Uh, it just They sold really quickly and, you know, I couldn't find them as readily um, back in the pre-eBay days. Hmm. Okay, I guess we'll skip over the Archie books, which take up uh, now, Ar- a little, little bit guys, of a row. You there. guys don't appreciate the Archies. We don't. Do you have any I appreciation for I the Archies that you want to share with us? Honestly, I don't either. <laughs> um, as, a, counted- as a publisher, I've, I've probably in the last two or three years, since I started putting Archie stuff on my site, um, I've grown to have some respect for them as a publisher, and especially when... Uh, like DC decided, well, we're going to cancel Detective in Action and break 70-year runs on titles where Archie was the longest-running title. I was like, hey, I have new respect for Archie. And then what did Archie do in the last six months? They canceled Archie and restarted with a new number one. Aww. Yeah. I, I know. Any respect I gained for them over the last couple of years. You know, the, the thing I would say <laughs> I respect about them is that they've managed to stay viable in – supermarkets and walmart and places like that that you know the comics that we know and love have not well i i remember uh, the some of the first comics i had before i even had my first dc were were archie titles uh you know i had two or three archies and a couple of harveys you know featuring richie rich who i'm sure as we'll see like later on this this month will have 20 titles of his own (laughs) so i mean that's how i got into comics is through titles like this but uh they appeal to the mass market people versus the collector people who tend to like well, action and adventure stuff rather than teen humor. Well, now, Paul, based on what, what you just said, do you feel that if comics had stayed in, like also stayed in mass market places like grocery stores, drug stores, that they'd still, that they would be able to sell more or would they have priced yep. themselves out? Well, I think they've priced themselves out to the point where, if you want this to still be a viable market for young children to be involved in it, you know, where you're looking to get your 8, 9, 10, 11-year-olds hooked on them young, uh, I think they have priced themselves out. And I don't think yeah, that's but you really... Don't, I don't think you want an 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old reading today's comics. Well, that's the thing. is, is they, they, they've, they've put themselves in a position where they really can't market to that audience because they, they, those kids can't afford to buy them. So, well, not just that. I mean, content-wise. Well, I, but I, know, think, I think the content has followed the lack of ability for them to buy it. I, think I mean, the they do have has some grown kid, with the price. They have had kid lines because I know there was uh, when Ben was uh, about three or four. There was a uh, there was like a Marvel Adventures kids line that I I was buying for him and I was reading to him, at, and it was in like a digest size. Um, so I mean, they they have made some attempts, but not as wide. You know, not like Archie has by staying in the public eye, by being there, like you're saying, in the grocery stores, at the checkout stands. It always feels like the kids' lines are a half-assed effort. Mm. 
I never I never feel like they're truly trying to uh, to grab that audience, and they're not really aiming them so much at nine, ten, eleven years old. I feel like they're aiming them at five years old, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't feel like there's really a good product out there for a kid who's like ten, eleven, or twelve, somewhere in that range. Because I, I, some... I think if you're ten, eleven, or twelve, you're just going to be reading the regular stuff, just like yeah. Know, but I don't think stuff. the regular stuff is is geared to them. That's that's the problem. See, I don't I don't think there is stuff out there for them. I think they're 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 more likely to avoid the stuff that's aimed at five year olds, but then mm. they're going to pick up the stuff that's aimed at forty year olds and say this isn't for me either. Right. And I think that's why you don't have so many kids getting into it anymore. That's why this I is unfortunately there, I think there's, an, a, I think there's a number of reasons for that, but yeah, uh, I was just going to say this. <laughs> I, I think it's a more complicated issue than just the the content itself. It's culturally there's there's been a, a shift in in the way comics are perceived and and I don't think there's a way to just well we'll just put out a bunch of titles and put them in the newsstand market and it'll change everything I think that culturally things have moved to a place where that's just not a viable option no oh, I, no I I, 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 don't I don't think, think that the that's answer is as simple as making them you know price right, but effective if, but if maybe they'd never left the newsstand right. that's if, what if, I if comics if comics hadn't left the newsstand comics would be nearly dead um, the newsstand market. The reason why the reasons why they went to direct uh, the direct market instead of the newsstand market was just because the distribution system from the newsstand level was killing comics. It, it really was. Um, comics for the newsstand distributors were just an afterthought because um, a comic that was well, let's see if you if you go like by 1980 prices, a 40 cent comic. The distributor was making a nickel off of a, a copy sold, but they were making fifty cents off of an issue of a magazine. So they, the magazines were be, what made them money. So that was what was giving attention. And comics weren't even making it to the newsstands, and publishers were having to publish. You know, the print runs on those things were huge, but only a fraction of that print run was being sold, and the sell-through rates were so poor, and the newsstand direct uh distribution system was just so broken for for distributing comics that it just didn't make sense anymore and and you know you might have had one publisher survive versus you know both marvel and dc and then all the new publishers that that came into place um the if you look at the what was going on in the distribution market it was it was a disaster for comics and the and the direct sale market saved comics but then now what we've seen as the evolution of that's gone along, it's also made them very fringe and, you know, you have to go to these specialty stores and it's a very niche market now instead of a mass market thing. And so the, they were saved, but at the same time, now they have a whole new set of problems that, they have, that you know, we've been dealing with for 30 years. No, I, I agree with that. And I don't think there is a simple solution, but I really feel like the, uh, the market would have gained a lot potentially if the publishers had taken a good hard look at the digital market and tried to find a way to get the comics into the hands of the right people to perpetuate the industry a little there and i don't think that i think they've fumbled the ball there looking to just try and maximize their short-term profits but that's you know again i'm, I'm that's that's my outsider looking in opinion maybe there's maybe there might be reasons that i don't know in fact there probably are reasons i don't know I mean, I agree with everything Mike said about, you know, it, it, it's 
it's a multitude of issues. It's not one thing you can point to and say, this is what put comics where they are today. This, this is the downfall of them or what. So I completely agree with that. But at the same rate, I think, you know, to answer Bill's original question, I think if there is one thing that you can point to that's to, to say this was the biggest mistake that they made, in my personal opinion, and I've heard everything that, that Mike said before about, you know, the, the newsstand distribution system, I understand all that. But I still maintain that was the number one biggest mistake they ever made was just deciding to abandon the newsstand. I, I, it seems to me there should there there must have been some happy medium to where you can have the direct system for your comic shops and for your niche market and all that and for the collectors yet still maintain a newsstand presence. And when they went from being ever present like they were when we were kids, you know, because I can remember you know family trips in the car you know you'd stop at a gas station and sure shit there was the spinner rack everywhere you went there was a spinner rack and when we went from that to now i can't remember the last time i chanced across some comic books in any convenience store or mom and pop shop or anything like that when you went from one extreme to the other to the point where now if you want a comic, you have to go somewhere like a comic shop to purchase it. I think that's what put us where we are today with the industry. And there's got to be a happy medium in there somewhere. And they always want to cry about price and, oh, we weren't making any money or what. Well, it's awfully goddamn funny that this, the industry survived from the 30s, you know, well into the 90s on that system. And then all of a sudden the system was broken. Well, I, I, I don't buy that. I think there was a lot of mismanagement. I think there's a lot of greed. And I think there was a lot of sheer stupidity to it. I think they, they saw, you know, a, a, a greener pasture than there actually was with the way that they went. And it came back to bite them. I just, I don't, it pains me that kids today aren't discovering comics the way we did you know when you just they were everywhere and you you couldn't avoid them they were just one of those quintessential parts of a child's childhood that everybody at one point collected comics whether it was for you know a couple of years and then you outgrew them or you continue to collect them into your 20s and 30s you know and there i just don't see them doing that these days kids obviously still have disposable income you know we think of you know, comics having priced themselves out of kids' hands. But, you know, when kids are walking into Walmarts and Targets and buying $60 video games, you know, where the hell are they getting that money? I've long wondered that. Where the hell does a 15-year-old get 60 bucks? But they are. So if they've got money for stuff like that, they've got money to buy comics too. But they're not buying them because they can't find them. They're not there. And I think that's the number one problem that comics have had for a long, long time. They're just not available to children anymore. Well, the and that's not, even, just, that, that's not even to talk about the content part, which, I again, I agree with Bill on that, too. But the other thing to keep in mind, as Mike said, is you know there is a cultural difference now as compared to 30 and 40 years ago. And at that time, at least when I was a kid, you know, I am older than you guys, but... Uh, Comics didn't compete with video games, and comics didn't compete with being able to watch movies at home. You know, when when back when in the old days, you know, when we used to walk 10, 20 miles to school uphill and then 20 miles home from school also uphill, uh, you know, comics was it. And you had, you know, TV was channels 2 through 13, and that was it. 
Right. So, so there was less competition for the comics for your entertainment dollar. Oh, sure. No, I understand that. But at the same rate, you know, you can't tell me that in, in today, just using Marvel as an example, you know, they're killing it at the box office with these movies that they're putting out. They have what now? Twelve, I think. Highly successful motion pictures. They've created this whole movie universe somewhere out there. You would think that there would be a line of comics wrapped up in that universe. You know, if, if they were still on the old model where comics were out there on the newsstands, they were available to kids, you can't tell me that they wouldn't figure out a way to market to that interest of people that are discovering Marvel as part of a new generation through these motion pictures that they couldn't figure out a way to market comics to those people that are discovering Marvel through the movies. And I don't see where they're really doing that, and they're not really doing it because, you know, well, it's it's a niche thing. It's not going to be out there in the, in the faces of kids, you know? I mean, maybe they kind of are with things, which I don't have a subscription to it, but, like, Marvel... Unlimited, I guess you can get lots of back issues on there for what is it like sixty bucks for a year, I think. Right. For a uh, for the whole thing, and I think they're about three to six months behind with the new books. So I mean, they could get a comics fix there, but it seems like it's just not. I don't know. It's just not pushed as much, or or a lot of things that I see now. I haven't checked lately, so I could be wrong with this. But like digital comics that are coming out now, new nowadays, they're almost the same price as the the books on the stand. Right. Which is, why? I don't understand that. It to me, it doesn't make. Maybe I'm just an idiot, but to me, if I'm going to pay four dollars for a physical copy of something, a digital copy, why am I going to pay four dollars for a digital copy too? I mean, you th because there's got to be less publishing costs, distribution costs. They should be able to cut that thing in at least half to offer it and still make a decent profit instead of trying to go for a full price digitally the same day that you release the hard copy. I, that I don't get. You know, it's, I think all three of us have fair perspective on this and I think we all make good points, but I would love to hear this conversation with Mike, who has an understanding of the industry, Professor Allen, who's an economics professor and Shag, who had, you know, has significant experience working in a comic store. I would love to hear this same conversation with the three of them and get their perspective on this kind of thing. Yeah, I've, I've had the comic store experience as well. I've uh, spent time managing and, and running a comic store myself. So um, it's been a while. Uh, I think the last time I was really heavily involved was sometime in the late 90s. But uh, I, I've had that experience as well. I think the other, if if you really want to have a good discussion about it, though, about you know what it takes to get kids in, is you need to get the kids in, you know, get people that are eight to ten years old, and and what do they, you know, what do they think of comics? Whether they're, you know, obviously you have some that have parents that are that are you know comic people, and so like I'm sure your kids are you know exposed to comics, uh, but. What about, you know, just a general kid off the street that, you know, their their dad didn't collect comics well, or anything like that? Are, you know, what is their perception of, of comics? You yeah, know, but going, are, is it something they're interested in or even, or even aware of? But going back to what Scott and I said a little bit is, is that when those books disappeared being readily accessible in average places, you now had to go to special stores, which when I was a kid – 
some of those were not easy easy to get to by bike and i had to truck across tampa through neighborhoods i probably shouldn't be going to and crossing highways and stuff i shouldn't be going to and but i still did it because it was my hobby but (laughs) some kids parents aren't gonna you know they're like some of them comic shops were mixed into like older used bookstores or or it might be mixed in with a music shop and the parents may not well you're not going in there i think it gained a stigma and a lot of parents didn't want their kids going to these kooky stores that were hidden in these different areas that because they, they weren't i mean when i was when they started to disappear and and i had to go hunt for back issues you know, my mom would take me to these places because she liked books and stuff too. But I know a lot of kids that d- their parents weren't going to let them do that. It, it became hard to find, not like underground comics, but it, it, it kind of like that. And it wasn't now wasn't the easy thing to find everywhere. I know what you're talking about the the shady comic store, which right, right. Every every well, I won't say We've, every. But I've been in shady most, com- most most towns have <laughs> have them. You know? Did we go to one of those store. in Orlando? Yes, I was going to say, didn't we go into a store that we're all kind of like, wow, man, this is kind of, you know, why are we here? You know, let's hurry. Let's get back to the car. And we're three grown men, four grown men, all four of us, (laughs) you and I and 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 uh, Scott and uh, and and Matt when we were, you know, like, ooh, okay, maybe we don't want to be in here. (laughs) This is kind of a wacky idea, but I think that the one thing that would change the uh, the one thing that would change the perception of something like that would be to have like a massive chain store for comics that was like a, a nationwide thing like you know so you go into like borders used to exist so everybody knew what borders was and it, you know it had uh books and and things etc and so that it, you know you knew what that was and so you could go from town to town and see that whereas mm-hmm. comics are it's all mom and pop stuff ex- you know unless you go to like you know the you know, Mile High has a chain of stores, but even I think they only have like five or six stores or something like that. So it, it's not like you have this, you know, something that's that parents could see that it would be, you know, oh, I know what that is, you know, okay, um, right. that that would be around. It's it's all these, you know, even the good ones um, still suffer from the stigma of well, it's you know some dungeon comic store that's run by a comic book guy from The Simpsons and. You know, if a girl sets foot in there, you know, she's going to get run out the door screaming, you know, that kind of thing. I think that's still the perception for non-comic people about Mm -hmm. what comic stores are, even though a lot of them aren't like that. There's there's enough that are. Right. I mean, there are enough that have been. I do have to say that my local LCS, which uh, Scott's been to, they've got a nice setup. They're in a mall. They have a big, big store. They've got kids sections. They've got, you know. Now he has to cater more than comics. He has to move a lot of other merchandise to to you know to make a profit, statues and things like that. But he's got a good balance of everything in his store. Which uh, wouldn't you agree, Scott? I would, but I, you know, at the same rate, I can tell you, you know, from experience that those kind of comic shops, like the one that's your LCS, they are few and far between. Well, that in uh, what is it, Emerald City? They were pretty good too. Although I, their their pricing for back issues is kind of goofy. Was that the one where you had to take everything up? Yeah, yeah. That was simultaneously probably the best comic shop I'd ever been in as far as selection and the absolute worst as far as the way they actually operated because all they did was piss me off and make me go, nope, I'm not shopping here. Because if I've got to go take everything that I'm interested in buying up to the counter and then you have to look it up in the friggin' Overstreet Guide, no, I'm not interested in that. 
I really enjoyed that store we went to that was uh, effectively its grand reopening where they had the dancing Groot up front. Yeah, yeah, that was, oh, God, that was that co- was, was that? that Coliseum? That was a Coliseum, yeah. That was a great store. Yeah, I really liked that one. Yeah, that How, was that was kind of a middle of the road in between those two places. How many stores do you guys have like local to you? I mean, do you have like choices where you're at? I know there's a lot of people around the country that you know their local store closed up, and so they don't really have a local store anymore. Um, so I'm just kind of curious on on what your perception is on you know how many stores are out there in your areas. I know uh, two of you guys are in Florida. Uh, Paul, you're in New York. I'm in I'm on the West Coast in Portland. This area is a hotbed for comics. We had, we've had, you know, in just in Portland alone, there's a dozen stores usually. Um, you know, some of them close up and reopen, <laughs> and reopen somewhere else. But um, this this area is is pretty good from what I've seen from traveling, um, as far as the number of stores that are available. But I don't know how it is on on the East Coast. See, for me, well, there's there's stores that are all, you know, within reasonable driving distance nothing like i could just walk over to uh and and they vary you know there's the stores that you go in and they have no selection there's the stores you go in and everything is way way overpriced uh i still have yet to find the store that has like the great 25 cent bin but uh you know if you're willing to search you can find stuff over here there are stores yeah in the in the tampa area if you count tampa st pete and then up where i live We've got a mixed bag. I'd say overall, there's probably about between somewhere between half a dozen to a dozen at any given time. And I'd say a quarter of those are pretty good. And and luckily, I live right next to one of them that's really good that has pretty decent sales. You know that I've told Scott about to where you know sometimes everything in the in the back is you bins that's uh, nine ninety nine and under. They'll sell for a buck, which, you know, and then they usually have dollar bins all of the, all the time as well. So it's it's not a bad store. Yeah, I got I'm, I mean, in the immediate town where I live, there are no comic stores. Um, but I would expect a lot of that is just, you know, because of the type of town I live in, you know, the, the zoning laws. And, you know, it just tends to be, um, you know, it's just kind of the, the people that live here and everything. But, you know. In in either direction, either north or south, you know, within a I would say thirty minute drive, you know, there's some really good uh, comic shops. Uh, plus, there's a, there's a whole chain. There's Coliseum of Comics that has you know several uh, stores around uh, you know around this area. So I mean, you know, there's yeah, there's some really good choices, and you know, some of the places. Uh, uh, you know, have really good back issue selections too. Because for me, that's that's the thing I always judge a comic shop on is what is their back issue selection like. And that's something I found has disappeared in a lot of stores. Yeah, is, is, is they've gone all new stuff and it's yep. and it's merchandise and new stuff. It's there's no back issues. Yeah, well, and and that, but that's hard to. If you don't have a lot of room, you can't have stuff that's just going to sit there that's not going to pay your rent. Well, I understand the reasons for it. There's one yeah. good store we have in our area that I've been going to for, I mean, they've been around, they're a family business that, uh, you know, I kind of know the family a little bit, but, um, you know, they've been around for 30 years or more. I don't know exactly how long they've been around, but it's been about that long. And, um, you know, they have the biggest back issue selection in town, but even them, it's like 
for what I'm looking for, they rarely have it. But I'm not the typical collector. I mean, I don't buy anything. I haven't bought anything post-1960 in a long time. So the stuff I'm looking for is all Golden Age stuff. And that stuff just doesn't come into shops all that often. So if for people that are looking for like 70s and 80s stuff, it's great. Yeah, I'd be all over that. <laughs> so uh, this month, Avengers number 140 came out. Hey, we're back on topic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just yeah, just to, to steer us back to, since we haven't gotten out of January yet, and, and we've been recording for an hour and a half. No, no, no. We're all the way up to July, remember? Oh, yeah. Excuse me, July. We haven't gotten out of the first month yet. Oh, geez. Uh, this might be a part three to this show. Yeah, that might be. <laughs> we'll just make this episode July. Uh, but wow, that was, that... we'll make it a monthly show. <laughs> The uh, Avengers 140 was kind of a monumental issue because it was kind of a reverse of the uh, the Neil Adams Kree Scroll War issue where uh, Yellow Jacket shrunk down and repaired Vision from inside. Mm-hmm. In this one, Yellow Jacket grew in size and was unconscious, and the Vision went in to administer medication. So, kind of reversed the whole story. And uh, penciler was George Tuska, your buddy. Yep. Yay! No. <laughs> and there was much rejoicing. Luke, Jack, and Eddie's rejoicing, and I'll rejoice with him. Yay! No, I had always believed that this issue of Brave and the Bold with Batman and Swamp Thing happened during the time when Swamp Thing was bookless, but uh, it turns out that I am dead wrong about that, because Swamp Thing was on issue 19 at the time of his original run, so I am... I am way wrong. Strap, strap the Titans Tower, but that wouldn't come along yet. Right. <laughs> Big giant T. That uh, that issue of Billy the Kid, um, mm-hmm. that's right before that Brave and Bold. Uh, that's an important issue, um, but I bet you guys can't tell me why. It's something that's uh, probably been important to the comics comics industry uh, for whatever the last twenty five thirty five years. Hmm. Is it a person that did the cover, which doesn't list? Well, I'm just this. looking at the cover. It's got, I'm, I'm, like the first thing that jumps out at me is it's one of the one of the early issues to have a UPC code on it. That's it, exactly. It's the uh. first. It's the first comic to have a UPC code. Really? Yep. Car- wow. uh, Charlton was the first publisher to adopt the UPC, um, and so that's the. Oh yeah, because Beyond the Grave, issue. right, right, right next yeah. to it has one too. Yeah, um, DC and Marvel would follow in about a year. Um, UPC had been around for two years prior to this. I think it started in 1973. Um, but th- yeah, this is the first uh, comic to have a UPC code. I'm glad I guessed correctly, but that's I would not have known that. <laughs> huh. That's interesting. I think it's interesting to note that Billy the Kid had 114 issues. Holy crap! Oh, he didn't. It's it's Charlton. Uh... If you if you're if you're familiar with Charlton, they uh, they would. Restart the numbering on on series and carry it over into different titles. <laughs> I gotcha. So Billy the Kid started out as Masked Raider, which ran eight issues, and then it ran. It became Billy the Kid with issue nine, but it actually did run <laughs> as Billy the Kid for quite a while. But it's still a significantly uh, long run. Sure, sure. But like I said, with all Charlton titles, uh, they started out as something else and then were renamed to something completely different. 
The, uh, I was looking here at the champions, wondering if we I had. are the champions. <laughs> that was that was big when that came out, and you could see just based on the cover art that uh, Hercules was their uh, marquee. Uh, it was yep. it was character. not originally a Hercules platform, though. It was originally pitched as a buddy book for the Angel and Iceman, and editorial interference kept they kept throwing characters in to, to fill out what became the team. But it was originally a buddy book featuring Angel and Iceman. And they wow, kept rope- even they- all the way back then, Iceman. About that. <laughs> so, Stop <yeah>. it. <laughs> I hate that outfit that Angel's got, though. That is one ugly-looking getup he's got. You Bobby thought ugly it was, mother. Huh? But Bobby thought it was fabulous. Stop it. I was looking at this going, do I have champions number one? Because I know I have quite a run of champions, and I don't. And then I was all bummed about it. But then I looked at who did the interior, and I'm like, I'm Don actually heck. okay with this. <laughs> no, I, I had that when it came out, and I no longer do. And I am bummed by that. Is that somebody that, that, that you like, Paul? I can't remember. Don Heck? Do you like no, Don Heck? not particularly. No, I didn't think so. Okay. But, I, but I wouldn't steer away from the book because of that. I am going to find that person that you like that I can just run you down for that I'll like you do on Infantino with me. I'll, I'll find that. <laughs> you Good luck with that. Wow, that's a scary co- Scott, cover to are Crypt you in of favor of Infantino or against Infantino? I so what? In, in, in the episode that actually just got posted, I, uh, I pretty much took Infantino to task for his drawing of Darth Vader, and, uh, and, and oh. Scott is still kind of butthurt over it. Yep. Uh-oh. And I just couldn't yeah. pronounce Infantino for some reason. Infantino. I love Infantino's 50s and 60s work, but his 80s stuff is where it's where I got introduced to him, and it was, like, awful. Um, his 70s stuff is kind of in the middle. Um, well, see, that's the thing is that's the funny thing is that I, I I find myself in the in the weird position of like defending him while I actually agree that I don't dig hardly anything of his especially from the 80s except the star wars but i really like his star wars can you say nostalgia ladies and gentlemen that that's it exactly you know i'm seeing hey he could draw some good looking women but you know i i will tell you that uh not long ago i picked up uh, a whole run of um nova out of the 50 cent bins and Ah, his nova stuff i think is really damn good i like that a lot and that's I think that was his next book right after Star Wars, if I'm not mistaken. And that's some good stuff. So still I don't know. Not, I mean, still not a fan. Eh, to each his own. Mm-hmm. I, I totally, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I like the cover on uh, on Cap here. I don't know if I have this issue of Cap. This is Cap 190. I don't know if I have this one. Interesting. Interior art by Frank Robbins. Ew. And Vinnie Coletta, everybody's favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about every... Oh, I do have this issue. Okay, I just haven't ever read it. Well, every editor's favorite. Hey, Vinny, I've got a book. It's late. It's gonna. It's got to ship by the end of the day. Oh, I can fit you in at noon. I just bought a new set of erasers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like this cover on Creepy Things, number two by Charlton. That's a good cover right there. That's freaky looking. Charlton yeah, did that's, that's very painted covers during this era. But yeah. uh, their interiors were awful, and the quality of their publications. I'm not talking like story quality or art quality. I'm just talking like their paper quality. Was, the paper printing quality was awful. Very the cool. Tor- hmm? Go ahead. I was going to say the torpedo on the cover of Daredevil. He is one goofy dude. You know, he's like a Z-list. 
He ended up being. Uh, he was. He, he was, was big, big in Rom. Rom, yeah, he was in Rom yeah. quite a bit. Oh, but right, right until one of the uh, diorates killed him. Yep. <laughs> and I wasn't too oh. sad about it. But you passed right over Crypt of Shadows, where the guy says, "Take it easy, Janet. There's no need to worry. We'll find Bill, no matter what's happened to him." <laughs> Is that you in there? <laughs> I guess that's me, the big giant monster behind them. Bill when he hasn't had his piss warm mouth. <laughs> That's Bill as you're trying to sleep, Scott. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me snore at you. Still waiting for that. Still waiting for that audio. So DC I, I special it... number eighteen with earth-shattering stories. Uh, I actually have. This issue, and I have the Superman one that's being reprinted right here. I think that's an issue of Action, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, Action 342. Look at you with the big I, bro. You just used the link. I, I see. No, actually, I knew that <laughs> off the top of my head. <laughs> Did you really? Doing, I knew it off the top of my head. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Deadliest Heroes of Kung Fu. That was not a comic. It was actually a uh, Kung Fu mag. Um, with a lot of photos and articles about the uh, the movies and like the kung fu movies and such that were going on because kung fu craze was was really big in '75. Who is the king of kung fu, Bruce Lee or David Carradine? That's an amazing. Uh, <laughs> just, just the fact that they would even ask that question is amazing. Sure, shows you the influence that that the TV show Kung Fu had because I don't believe David Carradine actually had any martial arts ability i think it was purely a tv show thing <laughs> i think i think pretty much every company their comic company at this point was had like at least two or three kung fu titles you know between like marvel had iron fist and uh shang chi and dc had karate kid and richard dragon and dick dragon it, it was really it was big well enter the dragon was a huge huge thing about this time and, uh, now, is this the first appearance of Starhawk in uh, Defenders number 28 here? Uh, I'm not sure if it's the first. I think he may have shown up in the issue before. But it's definitely, it's the first run where he's in, definitely. Then we got uh, the issue of the Fantastic Four that we discussed actually in the last episode where the, uh, the goaltender guard is the, I don't know if it's the counter-Earth version or just some alternate Earth version of Johnny Storm. Oh my God, he is a goalie. He literally is a goalie. I thought you were kidding about that. I was no, not no. Oh, good God. Okay. And he's guard. <laughs> Ghost Rider is fighting the orb. Dracula on Times Square. That's cool. I actually like that cover by Gray Morrow. That's actually pretty cool. I hadn't seen that before. And Dracula lives. Dracula lives annual number one. If you blow it up, it looks like he's being burned at the stake on Times Square with a Doc Savage poster behind him, too. That's actually really cool. I like that. I don't have any of these issues of Dracula lives. I need Dracula Dracula's. among the porn. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, what else? You, you could see in the uh, the giant size issues now, they're pretty much totally going into the reprints. Reprints, yeah. Even in giant size Power Man. Now, at this point, Power Man was probably only up to issue 20-something, and they're right. reprinting issues in, in giant size Power Man. I have that giant size Daredevil's number one, or Daredevil rather, number one. I've never uh, never read that, but I do have that one. I recognize the. God, Gil Kane did like every Marvel cover this month. It's crazy. Every it's link so... I've clicked on has been Gil Kane. That's what it was last. He pretty much did everything the whole this year. year. <laughs> that's, was... that's awesome. 
I mean, I love me some Gil Kane. I'm not complaining. It's just amazing. Every every time I click to see who did the cover, the only thing that changes is the inker. Gil Kane's done like every single one of them just about. Yeah, That's crazy. He, he, he was incredibly prolific at this point. Oh, yeah. It is. It's amazing. Oh, but I love he wasn't going interiors. A lot of times it's like you get a nice Gil Kane cover and it's Don Heck on the interior. and you're like, oh. Right. <laughs> well, it's the oh. same thing. You know, I'm looking here at... Uh, you know, you've got this House of Mystery. What is this? Two thirty-six. It's a beautiful Bernie Wrightson cover, and I'm like, ooh, I wonder if he did the interior. And eh, not so much. Well, that is Gage, really nice. Dicko's still got some popularity, but I'm I'm not a big fan of Ditko's uh, '70s work. I, you know, I, I'm I'm often hesitant to say it because I'm always afraid that you know I'm going to get this avalanche of negative feedback <laughs> about it, but. Outside of uh, outside of Spider Man, I, I was never really a fan of Ditko. I, I, I kind of fail to see why he he was such a big deal. I don't know. Well, Hopefully you're not a fan of, like, of Doctor Strange to speak of, but I thought his uh, '60s Doctor Strange work was very good. I like his, I I like his Charlton stuff too that he did for Charlton, like the Blue Beetle in question that he created and that kind of right. Stuff. Yeah, I, I have um, scattered issues of Blue Beetle, and I do have. I don't think I have every question appearance, but I have most of them um, of the Charlton ones because I was always a big question fan. I I do like that stuff, but again, I'm not I'm not nuts about it either. I mean, his Spider Man I I truly love, but it's weird because you know he's just one of those guys like outside of that, it's just like eh, Ditko. But you know, give I, me I prefer Ditko Ramita Spider Man like, to Ditko. I, oh I yeah, like, me too. I, I like Romita better. I mean, not not that I have anything bad to say about the Ditko Spider Man, but I I'm just a, a Romita Spider Man guy. So, no, I'm I'm in the same boat on that, but I still love the Ditko uh, Spider Man as well. If, if if I have to choose between them, I'm going Romita. But I don't have to choose. I can read both. We got a uh, Hercules Unbound number one with Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. And he did the interior. Hercules, Hercules. Unfortunately, the title was not very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard mixed things on this one. I have yeah. scattered issues. I've read the whole series, and they bring in like the Atomic Knights at the end and stuff, but it's it's <laughs> still not good. I, I actually like the Atomic Knights, the, the original run. Yeah, I do Atomic too, yeah. Um, but I, I it, it just... realized they were in this, that title. Yeah, um, they bring it, that's one of the few times they brought them back. So, Hong Kong this... Fui. This particular Hercules is not connected to the overall DC continuity, though, is he? I don't yes, know yes, and no. It's not the. It's supposed to be the original Hercules, but it's written like without really context of the other stuff. So you can consider it a completely different character. But this character does have some ties to the uh, to the DC universe and Commandy, actually. Hmm. Scott, is it the issue here which would go with your uh, your picture? Yeah, Chief Inspector number six. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, interesting uh, cover on Invaders because John clearly Romita. he's he's showing his ability to. Uh, oh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna call you to task, Mike, because I think you have a mistake here. Uh-oh. Uh oh. You have it credited to John Romita. And I just on recently saw issue? this cover posted on Facebook by uh, Rich Buckler. It's Rich Buckler and John Romita. Okay. Uh, 
but it shows because if you could see, if you look at it, you could see he drew it kind of in the Frank Robbins style. Yeah, I was noticing that too. Yeah, I and and that's the only reason it caught my eye because when I saw Rich Buckler post it, I thought, oh wow, you know that I would have never picked that out as being a Buckler book. I had I had one issue of Invaders when I was a kid, and uh, it was like twenty seven or something like that. And I remember I was like I was kind of intrigued by that series, and then I got into All Star Squadron right after that, and. I was a huge All-Star Squadron fan, and I've always been meaning to go back and read the rest of Invaders because, you know, it's Roy Thomas doing Golden Age stuff, which is what All-Star Squadron was. Uh, Have you guys read enough of Invaders to get a sense of whether it was as quality as All-Star Squadron was? Uh, I've read a fair amount of it. I would say it was a little bit more insulated than uh, All-Star Squadron. Well, Star Squadron, they still did the crossovers, and they, they made it... They seem to make more of an effort to make it part of the greater universe, which I think... Well, it was, it was Roy Thomas basically tying every little story of the Golden Age together. So, obviously, Marvel's Golden Age was Torch, Cap, and Namor, so I didn't know if he was trying to do the same kinds of things here. Obviously, this predates All-Star Squadron, but... I, I would say he was doing the same things, but to a lesser extent. Like I said, I think it was more insulated from the rest of the Marvel Universe. They they weren't really trying to necessarily tie it all together just so much as tell Golden Age type stories. What What I took you to mean, Paul, was that even though it was recapping, you know, and, and trying to kind of retcon into a linear fashion the, the Golden Age history of, you know, those those DC heroes of the Golden Age, that it also was part of the larger DCU of the time because it crossed over with things like, you know, the contemporaneous Justice League and uh, and things like that. I thought that was really cool. I don't remember, I mean, I could be dead wrong, but I don't remember Invaders ever doing anything like that. Invaders well, the only point they really did that was when they did a crossover with uh, in, with Marvel 2 and 1 and the thing. Mm. With Invaders? With the Invaders, and then that was the start of the Liberty Legion. Oh, Okay. Huh. Yeah, I'm not aware of that. See, Invaders is one of those ones I've always been really, really curious to check out. Um, I don't think I've had any more exposure to it than just the few issues that we've we've done on this show. But I've always been curious about it. But the thing that's held me back is uh, is just I can't get past the art. I just I really don't like the art. So I know that's going to be a struggle for me trying to get into the title. But uh, well, see, that's, that's your one like to make fun of me on and, and to abuse me with because I like that art. Yeah. As bad as I admit it is, I still like. It. <laughs> I'm trying for the life of me to remember who is this on the cover of Justice League of America 123. I know it's a creator. Is it Carrie Bates? It um, God. it's either Carrie Bates or Elia S. Megan, I think. Yeah, it's. I, I think they both appear in the story. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know which one is there, but yeah, I know it's the one where they're going against the creators or the writers or whatever. So right. it's a horrible, horrible story. <laughs> right. <it is. laughs> Honestly, this era of Justice League is not very good. And it's Steve Englehart takes over in a little bit and his stuff is much better um, than, than the stuff in 1975 here. Um, but that that's probably another dozen issues away or so. Looking down. This I see, I see the first Perez in humans is there. Although I hate the Inhumans. So, even though I, I liked that run, you had you had Perez for a few issues, then you had Gil Kane for a couple of issues. 
I, I, I thought it was it was a pretty pretty solid storyline that they had going. Although I this this is one Gil Kane cover I can point to and say I I don't find it to be particularly good. It just seems too disjointed. There's just too much going on. It, I don't know. It, it 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 doesn't feel like a cover to me. It feels like it should just be a panel inside the book. Yeah, it's, it's fighting Blastar. Yeah, it's hard to figure out exactly what's supposed to be happening there. It's just a jumble. Um, I'm with Mike. I mean, as far as like the Inhumans of this era, I didn't give a crap in- about the Inhumans until after Annihilation, and then I actually got really interested in them for quite a bit. And I was following them um, up until recently, and then they kind of lost me again with some of the directions that they decided to go. But uh, but you know, for a time, I was kind of into them. Let's see what else we see here. Um, two two, two books here miles. that I, I remember picking up off the stand, uh, but I guess maybe they were just beyond my pay grade at the time because I just couldn't get into them, was the Marvel Chillers featuring Mo- Modred the Mystic and Marvel Presents featuring Bloodstone. I remember them just kind of leaving me cold at the time. I'd like to pick up this Bloodstone now just to check it out because this guy... I've seen him pop up in stories here and there. I know he was uh, one of the guys that was plucked out of time in this Nova story that I read not long ago. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's the father of that female Bloodstone that was in that four-issue mini from uh, Marvel. Like I think it was like a prestige format mini. I'll say this was back in the late late 90s, early 2000s, I think. You know the one. If you ever see the cover, you'll know what I'm talking about. She she looks very much like Laura Croft, and they're obviously trying to sell it on boob factor alone. I'm pretty sure that's his daughter. So I'm just kind of curious how all that links together and everything. Paul, wasn't there a link between this guy and the Count Nefaria that we did in that night? What it was the ninety-nine cent Avengers book that we did? Oh yeah, it wasn't it was like the Count Nefaria usurper kind of guy? Yeah, but wasn't it uh, this guy? Or I think was I think there was a connection there, and I can't remember what the details were, but I I, I vaguely remember that as well. Yeah. Hmm. Uh. This is the uh, first burn Iron Fist on Marvel premiere. Which is the last, that's the last uh, Marvel premiere Iron Fist, right? Yeah, I think so. But it's the first one drawn by Byrne. I think the next one might be, I was going to say it might be Hercules, but I think that was issue 28. This is issue 25. I can't think of what was in 26 and 27, but if we ever get out of July, maybe we'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's fighting Angar the Screamer. I like Angar the Screamer. He's stupid. (laughs) Hey, he did uh, Screaming Mimi. Yep. He actually made it onto uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, he was. I was noticing this one back here. Marvel movie premiere number one. The land of time forgot. Yeah, I've never laid eyes on this comic before, and the cover is actually by Nick Cardi. I never, ever would have been able to place that because it looks like a painted cover. It's actually pretty cool. The yeah, T-Rex it's a, it's has a little mag, tiny so hands. It's gonna be, it's gonna be oversized. So it's gonna be magazine size. Ah, uh, so. just looks interesting. I'm surprised I've never seen this before. 
Uh, what else we got? Blade and Marvel Premier Preview number three. I have this uh, Marvel Special Edition with Spider-Man. <laughs> What's that? But they were doing a lot of reprints. A lot of these Marvel titles are just reprint titles. Oh yeah, yeah, the bulk of them. Uh, what else we got? Mod Wheels. That's Bill. You, you. That's your kind of. That's your sweet spot. <laughs> From a distance, this plop cover looks very dirty, but it just turns out to be his tonsils. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does look uh, not right, doesn't it? I was just noticing this Monster Hunters number two. This is the second issue in a row of Monster Hunters. The cover is really sharp. I like that. I don't know who the artist is, but that's that's really cool. It reminds me of one of the yeah, covers. Yeah, another Charlton comic. Yeah. Hey, it reminds hey, me you know, much do work on the cover and then forget everything else. Right. You know? I know Byrne did a lot of work for, for Charlton, so it's possible that that might be a Byrne pencil and then somebody else painted over it. Could be. The the woman looks a little uh, a little burnish to me. She reminds me of Babe. You remember that title he did, Babe? I do remember that title. For Dark Horse. But yeah, that cover, somehow that cover reminds me of, uh, of a cover from um, Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, somehow. It was a painting. Phantom Stranger? Uh, Woman, where is my disco suit? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Planet of the Apes number 12. Now, this is the magazine. Now, for Christmas, Andy Leyland actually sent me a box of stuff, and in there were some UK Planet of the Apes issues. So it's not this exact issue, but it's its UK equivalent. He sent me that, and it's got this cover on it, and I love it. This is one of my favorite covers of Planet of the Apes. Adapting um, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, which is my second favorite Planet of the Apes movie. So that's pretty cool. Only 12 Richie Rich Childs. All right, you got to <laughs> blow up and look at, the, look at the cover on Richie Rich Jackpots and just look at Richie Richie's Rich mom. Jackpots. <laughs> what is he doing? He's like been eating Taco no. Bell. You know, yeah, that's not there right. Were, there were 18 Richie Rich titles this year. Like, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, not all of them were monthlies, so that's why you only have like 12, but there were 18. They, I think they peaked at around 31 or something like that. Good God. <laughs> you got to respect him for being able to pump out that much material, though. That's amazing. Well, a lot of it was reprints. So, like, there was there was probably, like, four or five monthlies, and then there was a bunch of bi-monthlies, and then a couple quarterlies. And the, most of the quarterlies and bi-monthlies were all reprints from earlier stuff. But they still, I mean, that's still four or five monthly books that they're putting out with new stuff. Now, unlike Archie, that I could I could just never, ever get into Archie, I liked Richie Rich. Because when my mom would come home with boxes of coverless comics from the paper mill she worked at, um, generally there'd be a, a pretty decent portion of them would be Richie Rich comics. And I, I'd devour those things when I was a kid. I actually did like Rich, Richie Rich quite a bit. I don't think I saved any of them. I don't think I have any Richie Rich in my collection today, but I, I liked them when I was a real little kid. I thought they were pretty cool. I always remember the one where uh, he had the girl, whatever his girlfriend's name was, Little Red Gloria. came over, and he actually had a movie theater in their house. 
so that they could just sit and watch movies whenever they want. And of course, you have to remember this was years before, you know, VCRs and DVD players and all that. And I just thought, wow, what a cool thing to be able to just watch your, you know, watch movies whenever you want to in your own house, you know. And of course, today, you know, we we have friends that have their own movie theaters in their houses. You know, I know Scott Rifen has one, and I just I think that's so cool. But I always remember that from uh, from Richie Rich. I thought that was neat. At his own movie theater. So are you saying Scott Reif and his Richie Rich? I guess, yeah. He grew up to be Richie Rich. So <laughs> I, I heard that him. Richie Rich did the popcorn thing to Gloria. In <laughs> did what? The popcorn trick. Uh, <laughs> what is the popcorn trick? Oh, man. Well, never mind then. We Do I even want to know? Is this? No. It's from oh. the movie Diner. Uh, Mickey Rourke and it uh, comes up with this trick where basically you kind of cut the bottom out of a popcorn and you put something oh. in there that you shouldn't, and then you have your girlfriend reach in to yes, get Yes, okay. I, I have heard this trick before, now that you say that. <laughs> Scooby-Doo, where are you? Number four. That's not bad art on that either. I don't know who it is. I think Joe Staten did a lot of the Scooby-Doo art. Wouldn't surprise like Scooby-Doo's going to get his head cut off. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, oh, this is one I've been really curious to read. Here is uh, Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos number 129, The Origin of Fury's Eye Patch. I'm actually really curious to read that one. The origin of his eye patch. <laughs> <laughs> it started out as a piece of felt. On. <laughs> exactly. That's the so Fury was walking down the sidewalk in one direction, and the eye patch was walking down the sidewalk in the other direction. They met, and they became friends, and that was it. That was really bad. It was, but not as bad as not as bad as a Spidey Stupid stories <laughs> with the Falcon. The Falcon. That is a good looking cover, though. I like that. The Falcon portion of that right there reminds me of one of those. Uh, remember those stickers they used to have in the in the seventies? You'd buy the Marvel stickers, and mm-hmm. they'd always be saying something funny on them. That that's what that picture reminds me of. I couldn't tell you why, but that's what it does. I've always thought the Falcon just looked ridiculous. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like that outfit for him. The ones he's had in modern times look really bad. Or even before that, the green one I didn't care for. Yeah, I didn't like that one either. Well, for, for Christmas, um, we got a ton of Disney Infinity stuff at our house. And Logan got um, the Falcon figure. And I can't stand the costume that he's got. So it got us to talking about the Falcon. And so we were looking up pictures of the outfits he's had over the years. And wow, this this dude, because I always think of him as having this outfit that's on the cover of the Spidey Stupid Stories. But he's had a lot of different outfits. Many of them are not flattering at all. But this one I kind of like just because this is always like what I always think of as like the quintessential Falcon outfit because the Mego figure had this outfit. And I, I always tend to think of the the Mego figures as like the definitive versions of these heroes, you know. Let's see. There was something that just caught my eye. Uh, Superboy making Lex Luthor lose his hair. <laughs> right. I love that one. Another. I do. Lo- I do still have a, a good place in my heart for the the purple and green Lex Luthor suit. Yep. Not the power suit, but this this outfit, which is yeah. how he was on Super Friends. Yep. And so Mike Grell cover on Superboy. Super Team Family. I always like the cover on this too, even though it's Ernie Chan, and I'm not the biggest Ernie Chan fan. That actually is a pretty cool cover on Super Team Family number one. 
Why is, that was a book I liked a lot. Why is Captain Cold in there? Captain Cold? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Probably just because he's because he was he was in the Flash story Flash that story. is being reprinted. Oh. Heat waves. Heat waves there too. So he was so. actually in it. The team, or they were like well, villains in the story, or he they were the villains of the story that's being gotcha. reprinted. And this is this is when it was all reprints. It had some new stories in it later on, but this was all reprints. Right. Uh, what else we got here? I think the only issue of Strange Tales I have is this one that's shown here, 182, where it's Doctor Strange versus Thor for some reason. I don't even know that I've ever read it, but I know I have it. Again, Gil Kane cover on that one, too. I don't think I've read a single Doctor Strange story ever, unless it's been like <laughs> guest starring in something else. By the right. Hori Hosa. That, that is a reprint, though. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I just thought it was funny here. So you've got Swamp Thing by DC, Swamp Thing number 19, where he's picking up a bulldozer over his head, and then right next to that, Tales of Sword and Sorcery, Dagar the Invincible, number 13 by Gold Key, and he is also some sort of muck monster picking something up over his head about to throw it. That's just funny. It's the same pose, two very different covers. I've never seen this Gold Key one before. Bill Still, team. lots of love books at this time. Which Confessions really number ninety-one, Bill. Yeah, they were they were a dying breed. Uh, I think seventy-six was really the last year that they were they were romance books. Hmm. Seventy-six, seventy-seven were kind of the last gasp. Oh, no. This Vampirella cover is like one of the classic Vampirella covers. I see that uh, that. Yeah. Image all over the place in advertising and stuff for Vampirella. These these Warren mags, I completely ignored them for like decades, and in the last few years, I've like seen a few of them, and I've been interested in checking them out. So I've gotten some digital versions of them, and the artwork is on, on some of them is really really good. But character wise, it's like the characters I just don't care about, and a lot of them are just one off stories anyway. But um, some great artwork on these Warren mags. Now I'm confused here. You've got Warlock number nine that says pulse pounding premiere issue. How can it be a premiere issue at number nine? Is this yeah? I can I can it, give you that. it was discontinued and restarted. But uh, this is the Starlin reboot or restart, yeah. I guess. The, the original run was the Roy Thomas run, and then it was canceled, and then uh, it came in with some it, paddles clear. It was actually it was actually in uh, I believe it was in Strange Tales. That uh, that they continued the, that they started the run with Starlin, and it proved popular enough that they revived the the uh, series. And you know, technically, it's not the first issue, but yeah, it is. I gotcha, Scott. You being a Disney guy, I've kind of always wanted to know what your opinion is on the Disney titles. That I mean, are you do you have interest in those, or are those uh, just you know they're. You know, it's the Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck stuff. I don't, I don't know how much. I know yes, you're a Disney Scott. guy, so what's tell your, uh, what's your the, take uh, on that? Tell us all about the Aristocittens, please. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's one of those things where you know I, I think I've told the story uh, a lot of times about you know being kind of drugged by my wife to to Walt Disney World that first time we went in '99. And this was kind of my impression of Disney. This is what I expected to find when we get there. You know, just a bunch of, you know, silly kid stuff. And, of course, that, that's not it at all. But 
this, you know, I think sometimes that people think that when you're when you're a, you know you say you're a fan of something like say Disney for example well, I'm a Disney fan then they think that you must love you know everything of it and not realizing that it, it it's a very multifaceted thing you know that that Disney is a lot of different things to a lot of different people this is one of those aspects of Disney that that frankly just holds little to no interest you know to me at all is is their comic stuff um just because it, it's really just not my interest level of comics you know i'm my my thing with comics is you know the superhero stuff and this is very much to me you know kitty adventure type stuff so yeah i i have a few issues that have fallen into my lap just through buying collections and stuff but yeah not not anything i'm terribly interested in um although you know uh christmas before last you know for our, our christmas special for back to the bins uh i covered a, a a disney it was a disneyland christmas issue from 19 i think it was 1957 and it was fun i mean it was interesting and it was it was a neat little you know time capsule and a, a neat little way to look back on you know how kids, you know, looked forward to going to, you know, look forward to Christmas, but also look forward to going to Disneyland and all that back in the fifties. But I, I couldn't, I couldn't read that sort of thing, you know, day in and day out, like I do with my other comics. So yeah, it's just not anything that particularly appeals to me, but there are, um, you know, some Disney comics that are on my want list just for, you know, for various reasons or what I'm actually trying to hunt down, um, there were, I think, three issues of uh, that were um, outgrowths of Disney's uh, Man in Space series uh, that are out there in comic book form that I've actually been trying to track down. So, you know, stuff like that I'm interested in, you know, the stuff that might be like movie adaptations or something like that. But something like this, not not really. Just doesn't really grab me. Kitty stuff. <laughs> That's all I'm really seeing for this month. What? Uh, what do you mean that's all you're seeing? Yeah, you, had, you got X-Men at the bottom. Death, one of the X-Men would die in that issue. Is this the one where, uh, what's his name? Thunderbird. War, Thunderbird, that was it. Thunderbird bites it in this one? Thunderbird yep. dies. He was a dick. I didn't like him. Yeah, I didn't it's like him either. He didn't really <laughs> have a lot, much of a chance to like him. I was going to say, he didn't get a chance. Quickly. It's like his second appearance. Man, man, you guys are rough. I didn't like. Yeah, why don't we move on to uh, August then? Well, do we want to do that, or do we want to call it for this time and uh, and turn it into a three-parter? Because I know you guys all have to get up early. Totally all right, so guys. so we did one month, but we had an extensive <laughs> talk about uh, comic stores and comic. Well, we did email too. We uh, we did yeah. email. Yep. So I guess yeah, we'll make this a a, a three or seven-parter. <laughs> That way, we uh, Mike, you you gonna back. be available to, to join us again for next time around? Uh, yeah, just shoot me a line and tell me when it is, and uh, I'll see if I can be available. So, um, right. well, and I know a lot of it depends with the on time difference. That, the we'll, time we'll, difference, yeah. Yeah, we'll shoot for you know for one of the nights where we could do it a little later. So uh, we'll we'll do part three uh, sometime eventually one day. Soon. Bill, say something funny so we could go out. Bozdy bozdy bop, diddy bop. No, no, no. You're supposed to say, we are binsters. Bum, ba-dum, bum, 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 bum. Bum, 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 bum,
thought Hamana 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 Hamana. Whoa. No? Or I could do it as Arnold. Hamana 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 Hamana. Whoa. Alright. We are Binsters. Alright, that'll do. That'll do, pig. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, all rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to two true freaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the two true site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. All right, guys, it's been fun. I was trying to figure out if we went into August and you know what time we'd get through December. I think it all depends on how many side conversations you have because the side conversations are what eats up the time. They eat right. up the time, but I think they also make the best parts of the episode. Uh, it was, yeah, it was it was solid, and I didn't want to cut it off. So yeah, but I, I figured that after after that side conversation, we had an episode right there. I think. Well, you got to figure next time around, we're going to have a probably a twenty-five thirty-minute side conversation on the fact that uh, in August we got issue number twenty-two of Baby Snoots. Ha, 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 ha.